Well, good morning, Church of the Red Door. I was out in the hallway and one of our fine congregants here probably can't tell that he's a uh, 49er fan down here, number 15, since he wore the colors. <laughs> I just wanted to get him going. Those are 49er colors. You can say Chiefs, but those are 49er colors. What he, what he, told, me, what he told me, he says, well, you know, God, Jesus used to be on the Cowboys side. But he said, now Jesus is on the Chiefs side. So I guess Chiefs are America's team. And we are in California, so I, I was very intentional, very intentional about wearing something in between the gold and the red and the red. I, if you put all those in a thing and mixed them all up, you'd probably get burgundy. So that's why I wear burgundy. I'm riding the fence today. Uh, we had a great week this last week. Um, we had some baptisms on uh, Thursday night, and we baptized six people. We baptized six people. Many of them are here. And uh, yeah, so absolutely. And uh, it was awesome. Look at, look at these people. They act like they're, they are very serious about Jesus, and that, isn't that awesome? And there's Brett, and that was Dennis, and, and uh, yeah, this was fantastic. There's Peggy. Peggy was super excited about that. Awesome. And there's Deanna. Awesome. 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 And we had, oh, Nicholas was on our AV team all the way from Germany. He came in and gave his life to Jesus not long ago. And, uh, and there's our beloved uh, Mr. Sabo, Mr. Denny Sabo. So that is awesome. Awesome. It just doesn't get any better than that, and I appreciate all many of you decided to come and, and be witnesses to that, and that was pretty cool too. And as well, on a Monday night, which evidently we needed it, because if you've heard what's happened to the Phoenix Open this week, they were denying entrance even though you had a ticket, and they quit selling beer about middle of the afternoon, and some woman fell out of the stands, and it was just, there had streakers and people jumping on the, through the bunkers, and... It is mayhem over there, but so we had a little bit of salt and light over there on Monday night, and, uh, and we had a great turnout, and it was a great evening. If you want to watch that, you can either go to linksplayers.com and watch it, or you can go to YouTube and just pu punch in Tales from the Tour 2024, and it'll pull that up, and you can watch that. It was just awesome. It was some great testimonies, some really good input, and we'll, we'll kind of use that content. You'll be maybe seeing that content along the way. So it was a big week. It was a big week over there on Monday and back on Tuesday and then baptisms and just all kinds of Jesus kind of things going on. So uh, we're thrilled about that. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, I, I am, it's a heavy weight, this, the message here today, it really feels, because it feels like it could be just kind of bland and, and it cannot be. It just seems like a matter of fact story, but there's so much more to it as we'll unpack it. I feel a weightiness to try to communicate well, the overpowering nature of what has happened here and give perspective, and I want to do it in a way that will ignite something in our hearts as we look at this particular incident over the next two or three weeks, and I wanted to really shape and transform our lives. Lord, you're going to have to do that, and you're going to have to give us uh, just real, really ears to hear. Lord, that we would have, just ask the Lord today. Just ask the Lord, whether you're watching on television or you're watching later, just, Lord, give me ears to hear and eyes to see into this realm in which you rule and reign. Help me see these things and not just, well, Lord, we, just want, we don't want to walk according to what we see. We want to walk, really, have our lives shaped by what we cannot see. We trust you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 20, uh, Luke chapter 20. 
And as you're going there to Luke 20, I'm just going to read something. You'll have to trust me. Uh, Psalm 103. And this is powerful. It's very simple. Verse 7, he says, He made known his ways to Moses and his acts. His acts is what he did to the sons of Israel. And then verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. Catch this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Just get that down in your brain before we read this story. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in loving kindness. Can you imagine a God that was not slow to anger? I would have been wiped out a long, long time ago. He would have just smited me, and I would have, it would have been over. But he is compassionate, and he is kind. Uh, Peter had said that he, he's longing that no one perish. That's, that's what he desires, that no one perish, but all come to a knowledge of Jesus. This is the nature of the creator of the universe. And we see that more clearly here than just about anywhere else in the text. And it might slip by you, but I'm not going to allow it to slip by us. We are going to dive in here and we're going to recognize that this is the most ridiculous story that I have ever heard in my life. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation maybe where you're with somebody and they're a, a, a VIP kind of a person, and you're going into a public environment, and the people don't recognize that they're a VIP, and they treat them like the ne'er-thee-wells like me. Have you ever been in an environment like that where it's just a real miscarriage of justice? Uh, I'll give you an example. Maybe you were, uh, uh, maybe Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones are out on their grand world tour, and you got some guy that you just pulled off the streets to be on security, and he's up there. And Mick Jagger himself is coming in, and, and, and he's walking in in his little strut and his little doing his little thing, and he's walking up to try to get into backstage, and, and, and he doesn't have his credentials because he's Mick Jagger, and the guy doesn't let him in. He doesn't recognize who this is. Now, has that ever happened? I have no idea, but it's a good story. Now, so think about that. That would be just a massive miscarriage of justice. I, I, I'll remember another time when I was, uh, uh, was the director of instruction at the Maroon Creek Club in Aspen. For a bunch of years, and I was with uh, a multi-billionaire who was in his field known as well as anybody uh, on the planet, from what I understand in the development world. And uh, we got together, and it was um, it was a it was an actor, and uh, he was a well-known in his field. And we got together, and and this gentleman I was with was not a great player, and and this actor was very being th very theatrical, and neither one of them knew who the other one was. So my guy is like, who is that guy? He's, a, he's, he's quite a, he's quite a, I don't know, he's quite a, he's quite out there, isn't he? I, I don't know. And I'm like, you don't know who that is? And then a little bit later, the other guy, he had no idea who I was, I, I, I was with. And we had got paired together. And finally, the actor was like, I, I don't, this guy's just, just an old guy, and he's slowing me down. And he, oh, I got a call, I got to go, after about three or four holes. And neither one of them recognized the authority that the other one had, or at least in some ways a celebrity, that doesn't necessarily carry authority. But it, it kind of makes us uncomfortable when we know there's somebody in the room and there's other people that don't know, or at least me, and other people don't know the kind of weightiness of the person that they're with. Maybe you've had that in whatever field you are. Whatever field we know that oh, this is guy, this is this is an amazing guy. This is one of the most important guys in our field. And then here's this newbie over here, and they don't know anything. They they don't even know who this is. And you feel almost an obligation to try to defend, to say, do you know who you're dealing with? Never more so than this story right here. This is such a ridiculous story. 
And if God wasn't slow to anger and compassionate and long-suffering, I think he would have just wiped them out. He would have just wiped them out. Thank God our God is slow to anger, and he's very long-suffering, and he's very compassionate. And you see that. If you understand what's going on here, you'll see that. So Luke chapter 20, verse 1. On one of the days while Jesus, he was teaching the people in the temple. So get the picture. They're in the, they're in the temple, uh, not actually in the Holy of Holies or in the holy place, but they're in the temple area, and he is teaching and he is preaching the gospel. He's, he's talking about the good news of the kingdom is at hand, and we get many places where Jesus would, we don't have the specificity of what he's describing here, but this is the case. <clears throat> and the chief priests, those who had authority, in the temple, and the scribes and, and some of the elders confronted Jesus. And they spoke and, and they said to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, and who is the one who gave you this authority? Asking for his credentials to go backstage, asking for something. Who gave you this kind of authority? Who told you you could be here? Who told you you had authority to do this? We want to know. And Jesus answered and said to them, well, I'm the creator of the universe, and you're in big trouble. No, that's not what he says. He says, I will ask you a question, and then why don't you tell me? He says, was the baptism of John, John the Baptist, from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves. They began to try to figure this out. Well, if we say that it's from heaven, then he will say, well, why didn't you believe him? And if we say, well, that's from men, then all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from, and then Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, there are many reasons why I think, and Jesus does this a lot. First, there's a Jewish element to this. Uh, much in the way of learning is through questions. If you, I st- I've kind of, you know, obviously being on the seminary board in Israel and you learn a little bit about they would ask a question and then that would propose and ask a question back and propose another question. And, and there's a beautiful way of learning by just asking questions. That was a little bit of the Jewish, but there's something different going on here. Jesus uses this clearly to identify what their real authority was. This is my view. This is my view. My view is that based on their answer, they were calculating the impact, I think. I think they were calculating the impact of their answer and the subsequent response of the people. What are the people going to say? They were empowered by the people. Their authority came from the people in many ways. Otherwise, why would they have cared? Their authority arose from the people's whims and true authority. Well, true authority comes from God, and that kind of authority fears no man. But they were unwilling. They realized that their authority in many ways was derived by the people around them. The high priest had long ago left the task of being a real high priest and had already been kind of in some ways complicit with the Romans. They had a good life, many of these Sadducees and some of these chief, which were the chief priests. They had a good life and they didn't want it to they didn't want it to dwindle away. They wanted to make sure that the people were happy. The last thing they wanted to do was be stoned. So Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you. And what he was really trying to get them to understand is that their authority was the people. His authority was different. Now, that's subtext. That's my take on why he did that. Um, but we're going to ask a few questions over the next few weeks. Number one, I'm going to ask you this question. 
what were the actual claims about Jesus and his authority? And then we're going to get into, well, what were some of the proofs of Jesus' authority? What were some of the proofs? And then I want to get into something even derived from that. How do people respond to Jesus' authority? How do you respond to Jesus' authority? How does the skeptic respond to Jesus' authority? How does the believer, or how should the believer, respond to authority? And then lastly, what we'll look at over the next few weeks, I want to really get in, is is that authority transferable? Well, was it transferable to the apostles? And then by extension, is some of that authority transferred to us? Do I have the authority to stand up here and do what I'm doing right now? I'm going to ask you the question. Well, probably you wouldn't be here if you didn't, but you might be watching and going, I don't think that guy has any authority. And in some ways, you might be right. I mean, this guy was watched backswings for a living. What, a, what right, what authority does he have to stand up here and wax eloquent about the deep and profound truths derived from the Scripture? Where does that authority come from? And then are we using that authority in any way in our life if we have that authority? So those are some of the things. Say, how do you get all that from here? I think it's so important that we do understand the question. Where is this authority being derived? And we're going to start our little look. Where did Jesus... Well, we're going to start with the actual what the Apostle Paul said about Jesus. Are you ready for this? Now, I'm asking you, hang in there. I know this is... is, We're going to have to read a little bit here. We're going to have to really sink our teeth into this. But this will change your life, and it will beg the question in your own mind. I can say it's easy to give mental assent to, well, yeah, Jesus is all authority in my life. But it's it's another thing when there's that, that day when you said, he has all authority over my life. My life, my finances, my relationships, my future, where I live. I'm a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't have firmly in your mind that Jesus is the ultimate authority, if you don't have that picture in your mind, then you never will. I'll just tell you, you never will make that decision. That decision is based upon a well-informed understanding of who, in fact, Jesus was, and was he the ultimate authority. Okay? You ready for this? All right, let's go. Let's go. Uh, The claims of the Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13, this is probably, uh, this is a beautiful place of looking at the authority of Jesus. Verse 13 says, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness, who? Jesus, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the image of the invisible God. Now, that doesn't mean image here really denotes more his authority, his, his essence, uh, rather than how he looks. Jesus says, God the Father is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not just a picture like he has a nose and ears and hair and things like that. That's not what he's looking at. The image here is predicated on the very essence of who God the Father is. And then it has this very unusual statement Paul uses, the firstborn of all creation. Now, some have taken that to mean that Jesus was a created being and he was the first created being. And that is not at all what this is saying. And I want to argue this position for a second because it's important for us to understand what this is referring to and what this is clearly not referring to, okay? 
There's a Greek word here that is used for this firstborn, and what it really does, it signifies priority. It signifies uh, leadership, inheritance, responsibility. Uh, that's what this denotes, not the fact that it was just born before anybody else. That's not what he's saying. Has first place, priority, if you will. It goes on here that Jesus, uh, what is this? What is this, should this bring up in our mind, as we'll see here in a minute, that Jesus created the world, Jesus saved the world, Jesus, Jesus rules the world, Jesus was self-existent, and the head and the creator of everything. That's what the argument's going to be here. And also, if you understand the language, one of the things that we work hard to, there's a fancy theological term, hermeneutics, what, are, what is our hermeneutic? We try to, in our when we're unpacking the scripture, is allow the Bible to define the terms, not us just trying to create the terms. So if there's been precedent, a little bit like our law system, is there precedent here to be able to understand this case based on decisions and rulings that have already been made? Is there precedent here? And there is. Psalm 89, Psalm 89, I don't think the guys have this, but I, I thought it was important that we look at this real quick as I thought about this. Psalm 89 I'm going to just understand the language. Psalm 89 is uh, a promise to the, not only to David as king, but by extension, the Davidic line. So in many ways, it has messianic overtones. Now, if you don't understand what I just said, I understand that. What that means is there was a promise given to David called the Davidic covenant, and that in his line, in his line would come a great king, would become a Messiah figure. And out of that, the language here in verse 27 is part of that. And it says simply this, Psalm 89, it said, I will also make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. In other words, it's the priority, it's the superiority, it's the overwhelming dominion of this king, and he'll be over all of the kings that are, are on the earth. There's, there's nobody that's going to come in even a close second this this person, this firstborn among creation, this firstborn, again, not a created being, self-existent, as, as will be made clear. This self-existent being in the line of David will come, and his kingdom will be forever, and his dominion will be over everything, the entire created order. That's important to see. So if you understand that that language has already been used in the past, you can see why Paul would use that kind of language in describing the preeminence of Jesus himself. Our culture, most everybody has a view on Jesus. Everybody does. And it's, it's, I don't often, I occasionally get some extreme mockery. I saw some extreme mockery this last week about Jesus, and it was, it was vile. It was vile. But typically, even an atheist will say, well, he was a pretty good teacher, kind of teaching the golden rule kind of guy. But this is not an argument for Jesus being a good teacher, though he was. He was the best. This is not an argument for Jesus being in any way even a martyr, which there have been many martyrs. This is an argument for Jesus' preeminence over everything in the created order. Now, think about that. In the temple... Who gave you this authority? Who gave you this authority in the temple? Do you remember John chapter 2 where Jesus says, tear down this temple and in three days I'll build it back up? He was in a sense the temple, meaning what was the temple there for? It was a picture for those Israelites who were 
believing into the God of their forefathers that God would dwell in the holy place, in the holy of holies, in the Ark of the Covenant, in a box. Obviously, God's not constrained to a box, but it was their picture for the very presence of God. When Jesus says, tear down this temple, he's saying, obviously, he's referring to his body, and he says, I am the temple. In other words, the presence of God lives in me. So, uh, I mean, I'm preeminent. I created you, and, and you're asking me about my credentials? You think Mick Jagger'd be upset about not being able to get through a little security guy to get, you know, to get up in front of, you know, 100,000 people or something like that. Think about this. This is even more absurd, more ridiculous. And yet Jesus did not smite them because he is long-suffering. Have you ever had times in your life where you look back and you go, not only did I not recognize the authority of Jesus, I didn't live out the authority of Jesus in my life. I ran my own ship. And why didn't he just take me out? I, I think about that all the time. What a grace-filled person Jesus is. Why do we worship Jesus? Why do, why do we give our lives to him? Because of who he is. Not just because he has power. He does. But he's so loving so long-suffering with us, the created beings. So if we go on, the firstborn of all creation, verse 16, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. I don't know how you can get around that, both in the heavens and on the earth. By him, all things were created. I don't know if you've ever really contemplated that. You say, Paul's delusional here. I understand. Some people say, Paul's delusional here. Is there, is there an... It, or is he? Who was this Jesus? The visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, authorities. See these people all over television and everybody in the scientific community and all this, and we're, we're the authority, and we've determined that there's nothing out there, that we're all just blind cosmic chance running around down here. There is no design. There is no order. And, of course, not all the scientific community is saying that. Some of the most erudite scholars, I think, in the scientific community, from Dr. James Tours, a Jewish scientist that went to, is that my alma mater, Rice, to whoever, you know, Francis Collins and the head of the Human Genome Project and all this, and they, they believe in the superiority and the dominion and the power and the authority and the literal resurrection of Jesus who conquered life through an indestructible life. Not everybody feels that way. All these authorities, Jesus is over all of you, regardless of where you may feel confident in your assertions. He is over you. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things. This is the preexistence and the preeminence. He was not firstborn, meaning he was the first to be born. It's more in the order of how we think about birth order. And that the firstborn, sometimes it would apply to even not even the one that was born first, but the one with preeminence and the one with priority that was received the inheritance, etc. But this argues more, even more than that, it argues the fact that Jesus pre-existed the created order and he was outside of time and space and spoke time and space itself into existence. Now, that's a whole different guy than just the guy walking in sandals going down the thing, being nice to people and healing some people and turning some fish and loaves into a little bit more. 
Why, why would he reduce himself to, to coming as a human being? I, I just don't understand that. I, I, I just cannot understand that other than the fact that he loves the world so much. The God the Father gave his only son and the son was willing to go. I, just, I mean, if that's not worth your devotion, what are you devoted to? He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body. Again, a metaphor of my body, Jesus being the head, and then we're the hands, the feet, the arms, the... And is there any authority? We'll be asking towards the end of this little series, is there any authority in the rest of the body now, or was that only for the head? Well, obviously, he's the ultimate authority, but he's also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in those areas that you want to give him no everything why not get on why not get on page the same page with the creator of everything today i mean that's kind of the gospel isn't it isn't that the offer repent be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy spirit and now you'll become a temple isn't that kind of the message why not get on the same page with the 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 authority over everything, the creator of everything. Why do we still vie for our own dominion in all the different areas of our lives? I don't know why, because it never works anyway. We cling to our own sovereignty. I find myself, that's my flesh, pulling me towards my own. I'll do it my way. I, the, I know what the word says, but I'm choosing to do it my way. We just continue to fight for our own sovereignty and to our, to our own to our own shame in some ways, but also to, to our own hurt. It really is. It's not, it's not a good way to live. But we cling tenaciously. And God, remember, God 103, Psalm 103, he's so loving. He's so compassionate. He is truly long-suffering. Thank God for God, really. Listen to Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. It's something similar in tone, obviously. Ephesians 1 Verse 18, these are the claims, these are the claims about who Jesus is. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, in other words, your volitional inside of you, may be enlightened. That was our prayer. Lord, give us eyes to see today, ears to hear. Be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now, when you hear seated at the right hand, you cannot think of that too literally as if there are just two thrones, and for the last 2,000 years, God the Father sitting in this throne, and to his right, Jesus is on this throne. This is a picture, again, of preeminence and priority and dominion and rule and authority. So when we talk about thrones, it's a picture of authority. When we talk about being at the right hand, it's a picture of authority, okay? Just, we have to get that in our minds. Don't just be hyper-literalizing this in the, in the way you view God, as if they're just up in the clouds on a couple of, you know, TBN thrones or something like that, big gold things and all that, and they're just up here watching all the activities. No, he is, in, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He has, he has died. He's been risen, as we'll see in a minute. 
as we'll see in a minute, well, <laughs> all dominion, power, and authority has been given to him. And uh, Daniel had seen that hundreds of years before, before, the, before the fact. It says, or, or before it was made evident. Now, catch this, verse 21, he's far above all rule and authority. Who is Jesus? He's far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and every name that is named. That's pretty all-encompassing, church at the Red Door. It's pretty all-encompassing. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So now we're going to take it beyond just what we can see. We're going to go into the future, into the age to come, which will be the eternal reality of Jesus on his throne, and he's still going to be the head of everything. Why not get on that page now? Why would I wait? Why, couldn't, why wouldn't we as a church be learning to live under his sovereignty and his rule now? What is this idea that we just will say kind of a prayer and, and, and then run back to our own sovereignty? It's just bizarre, and it's, it's an uneducated view of your life on this planet. My task is to equip you for the work of service, okay? We talk about that a lot. That's our task as a collective, unified whole. Anybody who would come and teach and open this word, and we have many of you who do that. And our task is to equip you to be subservient to the king, to walk out your calling, which is exactly what he said, so that you will know what is the hope of your calling, right? And that is our task. You will never do that if you don't recognize that he is already the boss of you. In being a follower of Jesus, what you're saying is you are now the boss of me. You always were the boss, but now I am recognizing your authority to be the boss of me. It's a beautiful place to live. It, it, it fights against your flesh. Of course it is. It, it, it'll fight against your plans. It'll fight against the way you see your retirement. It'll fight away against the way you see your future, going to college or or it'll fight against the way you see your marriage. It'll fight against all of those things, living under the authority of Jesus. Good. <laughs> I'm confronted by my own sovereignty, and I, bow the, and I bow into your authority, to your power, because you created everything. Imagine that. Verse 22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I could just take five weeks over that, and I won't, and everybody went amen. So now let's look quickly here at the apostle Peter. What did Peter say about this? Now, Peter, and remember, Peter's the one, you're the one. Thou art Christ, son of the living God. You know, some of you have been with me to Israel, or you've been to Israel, and you've been up in that place up in the northern port of the kind of headways of the, near the Jordan where a lot of people get baptized, and there's this place, and Jesus asks, uh, who do men say that I am? Oh, you might be Elijah, and you might be this guy, and that guy, and finally, Peter stands up and goes, thou art Christ, the holy anointed Messiah, son of the very living God himself. Thou art Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're absolutely right, and it's the Holy Spirit who revealed that to you, Peter. And now, of course, then Peter denies him, and he runs. He, he denies him, and I don't know that guy, and he's cursing, and he's a terrified of a, a slave girl who confronts him and says, oh, he was one of the guys with him. I, well, I didn't know that guy. I don't know that guy. And of course, we hear the 
the crowing of that rooster. I've heard that in my own life. Maybe you have. Not literally, but in the back of my head, I'm like, I can hear that rooster crowing because I've denied him in the way I'm acting or the way I'm behaving or the way I'm viewing the world. I, I battle against taking over my own sovereignty. But Peter, in a, a moment of extreme clarity, empowered by the Holy Spirit, simply says this, 1 Peter 3, Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers, angels, authorities, and powers had been subjected to him. Peter got it right. In one morning, he's, he's a tossing ship. He's, he jumps out of the ship to go see Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and turns around and starts sinking. I mean, I love Peter. I mean, he was so, but he was, he was a mixed bag, and, and in many ways, aren't we all? But you have to get the foundation right, and the foundation is that Jesus is the boss of everything. And if I'm going to follow him, I need to see him as the boss of everything, and I need to implement that into my life. That's what I try to do every single day. I mean, Laura and I were having a conversation yesterday, and I just, I said, I, f- I feel these nuanced kind of things, and, and, I, and I, I feel that I've got a sin in this area, the kind of unforgiveness here, and I, I don't like it. And, and so, you know, we bow the knee, and Lord, just transform my heart. I don't have the right to hold anybody hostage in any way if I feel dishonored or, dis- or anything. It's ridiculous, Lord, forgive me. It's a constant, constant Holy Spirit working in my life to bring me back to a place that, uh, Jesus, you're the boss of everything, and I submit all, even my emotions and my feelings and certainly everything else that's me, I, I submit it to you. It's beautiful. Now, in these last few uh, moments that we have, I want to just go through a couple of things, just, and then we'll pick up this next week in a very, very profound, very profound thing in the gospel uh, that we see picked up re- referencing all the way back to the prophet Daniel, which will, many of you know it well, but I think in light of authority, you'll understand it maybe even in a deeper way. But what did Jesus say about his own authority? He could have claimed it here in Luke 20. He chose not to. He chose to press forward and just ask them in a compassionate way so that maybe they're thinking, well, where do we derive our authority? We're so, we're so fearful of the people that we're not, even, <laughs> we're not even willing to stand up for anything. You know, we're, we're going to do this. And they're gonna, it's like political, politicos, you know, let's say where the, where the wind goes. Nobody's, everybody's just moved by everything. And they were. And so it, it undermined their own authority, and Jesus knew that. But here's what Jesus did say about himself, John chapter 5, verse 26. And I just want you to, let's try to take this in. Let's think this through. Let's meditate on this as a church. Let's think about this in a very proactive way. Jesus said this, for just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Okay, stop for a second before we go to the next verse. What what does that mean, really? Even as the Father had life in himself, I think it denotes all kinds of things, eternal life, indestructible life, but also true life, true. And and this was what was so hard for even the religious to hear because they considered themselves as the custodians of life through the law, 
right? We all think, well, I've got life. I, I, I read all kinds of studies. There have even been more studies uh, this last week I was reading because I, I don't know why. It's, our culture is suffering so much because we uh, lack an understanding of Jesus and his sovereignty. Where everybody, all these studies, it's just over and over. I'm like, who's paying for all these studies on happiness? Happiness, 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 happiness. And at what age you peak happiness and then you go down into a trough. And I found out that when you hit 60, you get a resurgence of happiness. And so now that I'm in my 60s, I recognize that I must have a resurgence of happiness. And I don't feel any more happy or less happy than I felt in my 50s, but I guess uh, that's the research on the, from the authorities, right? So what is this life? Is it, is it bliss? Is it contentment predicated on circumstances? I know some people in their 60s and their circumstances are leading to a place of great despair. I know some people, they said, you're most discouraged or depressed when you're in your 20s and 30s, you know? And, and because, you know, you hadn't figured out life. And, I, and so you have all this, yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody's just after, after happiness. And I read an art, another article this last week, and it said it's not even about happiness. It's about contentment. So happiness comes and goes, but contentment is kind of a steady situation. And then they, and they did all this research, and they get thousands of different people that they follow over a number of years, and they try to put all this into some sociological experiment or whatever, and out comes uh, contentment. And there's some people who are content, and there's some people who are not content. Uh, I want us to think of it like this. Jesus said, you know, I'm the vine, and you're the branch. And if you're, dis, if you're not attached to me, you can't accomplish anything. You can do nothing. And, uh, and my words have already made you clean. Look, when we're attached, when we're doing what we're doing right now, and we're eating his, his, this word, and we're trying to live into it, this is laying the foundation for some sacrifice on your part, because when you give over sovereignty, it feels like suffering, but it will lead to the very life that Jesus had gotten from God. And why did God, Jesus get this kind of life from God? Because he was willing to do exactly what the Father instructed him to do. Because he had agreed to be, he was in submission to the Father. And that's really hard to understand because Jesus was fully God, and yet he had submitted himself to the Father. In some ways, the Holy Spirit had submitted himself to Jesus, and they were all God. And it gets very complex, this idea of Trinity, but it gives us a pattern. Jesus' life uh, that was given from the Father was predicated on him being walking in exactly the way that the Father had prescribed for him in his coming to earth and his calling. Your happiness will be directly correlated to your ability to walk in complicity with the directives of the Father through the Spirit. Let me say that again. Your capacity for sustaining joy, contentment, maybe even a better word than happiness, I think it is, will be predicated on your willingness to walk in the, in the beautiful complexity of what God has called you to do and as you do that more and more and you give yourself over, you'll find yourself being content. It's very strange. And it is, it is antithetical to the way that we're built. We believe we'll get happiness when we get independence. And this is saying you get happiness when you become dependent upon the one who created you. That is so powerful. And therefore, Jesus had been given the life of the Father. In verse 27, and... He gave him authority to execute judgment, well, because he is the Son of Man, and we'll get into the Son of Man and what that means next week. John 3, uh, verse 13, this picture of heaven, I kind of got this picture today, it's kind of access, you know, 
It says, no one has ascended into heaven, Jesus says, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, I want you just to dwell on that for a minute, all right? So access to the Father came from this Son of Man. So I'm going to leave you with this. I want you to think about this term, Son of Man. I rarely give you homework, but you got a little homework this week. I want you to go back, and I want you to just, you can get on a search. You can just put Son of Man, say Bible, Son of Man. And what, what will come up? And obviously, one of the first things that will come up is what we'll look at and where we'll kick off next week, Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man, because Jesus referred to himself over and over as the Son of Man. What did that mean? What did that entail? And Jesus is saying, look, no one has ascended into heaven. And, and again, don't think of heaven, and this is maybe a little bit misleading, this picture of stairway. Don't think of heaven just being way out there. I think, you know, what, what we understand, it's an unseen dimension. I think it's much closer than what we would perceive it to be. The kingdom of heaven is near and all these kinds of things. Don't think of it as being way, way out there, like maybe in a different galaxy. Like someday we'll just be extricated from this, this nasty world and we'll go somewhere else so we can get, get away from this world. The Bible talks about a new heavens and a new earth, a recreated heavens and earth. So let's not always think about have this escapist mentality, that, but that the heavens are near and Jesus has access to the presence of the very creator uh, uh, God himself as the creator, and he also descended from heaven. So don't think in terms of up and down. Just think of dimensions, okay? I think that helps us rather than thinking about heaven being so far out there that, you know, we're just a million miles away. Because when you think of that, you don't think of God being near. And you think, well, I can get away with this because he's way out there somewhere. Maybe he can't see, you know? <laughs> and then we do what? You say, well, that's ridiculous. Was it? That was the exact ha That's exactly what happened in the garden. What did they sin? And then they hiding from God, <laughs> leaves, and then they got behind some trees and some bushes, and they were, they were looking out, and, you know, where is he? I mean, I think he can see me. Oh, this is clear, you know. Oh, there he is. And you say, well, that's ridiculous. But don't we kind of do that? I mean, we kind of have that impulse in us. He's, he's got to be busy with a Super Bowl. He's got to be busy with... You know, saving people from falling out of the stands at the Phoenix Open today. I mean, it's the final round. He can't be worried about me over here. Uh, we think of that. And, and, and yet, life. So what is your takeaway from today? I hope it's simple. It's all dominion, all power, all authority. He's the boss of everything. He's the creator of everything. And I also want you to walk away. Is how, why is he so compassionate? Why did he not just blow this place up when they questioned his authority? That is a ridiculous story. And yet he didn't. Father, forgive them for they, they don't understand what they're doing. So uh, as a church, how would I define Church of the Red Door in its simplest terms? We are a community, an aspirational community that is striving to live under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. Everything else is supplement to that. Everything. The foundation is King Jesus, an indestructible life who's now the boss of everything. And we're just trying as a community to get on the same page and walk into the calling that we have been given right here in the Coachella Valley in 2024 and 2025 and 2026 and until he comes back or we go meet him prior to him coming back.
This last song uh, that I chose uh, is, I want you just to be contemplative. You know, some of our worship, I understand, you know, some of our worship, you just have to uh, take in the words. Take in the words here of authority and dominion and power, and it will be so powerful. And let it wash over your soul. And um, we love you, and I hope your team wins. Uh, but obviously, not all of your team's going to win, and some of you don't care. And I don't even know who's performing at halftime. But uh, and it'll be a big hoo-ha, and it'll be all the lights and the glamour, and there'll be all kinds of glory. Just remember, King Jesus, uh, that doesn't even come up on the radar screen relative to his authority and his power and his dominion.